It's Holy Week, and we discuss Easter Sunday, transhumanism, and wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff here on Spirit Inspire, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit Inspire. And now, here is your host. Hello, welcome back to Spirit Inspire. I'm Isaac Fox. I'm doing the hosting duties today, and I am joined, as usual, with my delightful co-host, the jubilant and jovial John Soule. Welcome, everyone. And the exceptional and erudite Eric Huff. Hey, everybody. Erudite. You guys uh, erudite? Yeah. Highly educated, intelligent. Oh. Oh, well, I like that then. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was an insult for a moment. You guys yeah. like the intro. I think I'm going to start doing that, where every introduction has multiple adjectives with heavy use of assonance and exceptionally florid language. I like that. Sounds I good. think it adds depth to what we do here. Yeah, any other, especially when you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong Correct. syllables. Yeah, yeah that's, syllables. Yeah, that, exactly that definitely helps. Yeah. Well, today <laughs> is Monday of Holy Week, yeah. and we're recording on Monday of Holy Week. We hope to have this episode released prior to Easter this Sunday, and so hopefully that all of you listening and or watching will have the opportunity to listen to this prior to Easter. And with that being said, we at Spirit Inspire would like to wish every single one of you a very happy and truly blessed Easter, um, Easter season this year. And on the same note, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Easter, about Holy Week, and of course about the Sacred Triduum. Awesome. Uh, this is the holiest week of the year. Yeah. And we have the Triduum, which is the three great holy days at the end of this week. Holy Thursday, the Memorial of the Last Supper. Yeah. Uh, Good Friday, the Memorial of the Crucifixion. And of course, the greatest feast of the church's liturgical year, Easter Sunday. Really more or less just an English term. It's the Pasch. It is the Paschal mystery. It is the suffering, death, and resurrection of our true Passover lamb, Jesus mm. Christ, God incarnate. So, incredible week coming up here. Yeah. So, usually when we do these episodes, we kind of say hello and then start chatting. But I'm the host today. I'm in charge. And it's fun. It's good. I'm kind of scared. But... You should be scared. Yeah. No, I've actually just had something on my mind today. I uh, thought that I, if, it, if you guys will indulge me, I'd love to share with, with you and with our audience but it might take uh, two or three minutes to get through the thought because my thought process is typically convoluted. Um, so I'm going to try to work through We're this. used to that. It's yeah, I know, I know, I know. Love, yeah. having, love having friends like you all. It's so great. Before we get into yeah. that, can, uh, because like you said, once we break over, there's no, there's no going back. Yeah. Oh, once I start talking, it's like, a, it's like a train wreck out of control going yeah. down a hill. We're just on I, the ride. It's like a nonstop <laughs> catastrophe. You said that, not me. But um, <laughs> Do you agree with the concept? I, I, I want to say first, um, <laughs> I want to say first, I know we've gotten some uh, more subscribers than yes, our last video. And thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I think we should say a couple of things there. So this... I think one of these days we're going to actually do an episode about the podcast yeah, and yeah. the really marvelous way this all came about. It's kind of like Seinfeld. It's like doing a show about a show sort of thing. Right? Yeah. Like one Seinfeld episode. We have to have I feel that like, episode I feel eventually. Like a show about nothing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's a show about nothing, having an episode about, about doing a show, a show about, about nothing. nothing. Yeah. On a show about nothing. So, so what does this conversation make? 
I mean, it, it's so far, so far it hasn't amounted it's to much. It's not that meta yet. Regardless, yeah. thank you all so much. It's an incredible gift that we have uh, you all watching and listening. And, it is. Uh, it's a privilege. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we and I, are just less than a year into yeah, doing yeah. recording, and we've been really blessed to have had some amazing guests recently on the show. Uh, we've had a lot of new subscribers, so thank you. And please keep subscribing and sharing because obviously... We want uh, not our names to be out there, but the gospel to be spread um, right. around the world. And so when you share, when you like, when you subscribe, that's that's really super helpful there. Right. And and I agree that that's the mission, but I do want to point something out yes. because there, there are some new viewers is that Isaac, John, and I are, are kind of the spirit-inspired group. Yes. Um, there might not have been a video in the past where all three of us were together uh, since we've had all these subscribers, so they might go, well, who's that guy? And now I'm watching this video and there's only two guys. And that's right. true. That's so right. uh, just to point out, um, you know, Spirit Inspire is the three of us. This is it. This is as much as you'll ever get. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm in the inner circle, you know, you know, Christ had um, the, the Peter, James and John, the crowds. Yeah. And then he had the followers and then he had the disciples and then he had the three, yeah, Peter, yeah. James, and John, and we're we're back down to the three. So uh, I'm kind of scared of that. Yeah. So Does that make Brian Judas? Yeah, because we started Judas with Brian or Jesus. Well, I don't. <laughs> I I think Brian. Yeah, since he since he fell off. Brian was our one of our original co-hosts. Yeah. He uh, jumped yeah. off to become well to do discern and enter the diaconate. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't have time to continue with us. Right. Anyway. Uh, we, miss, we miss you, Brian. Yeah. We do. Shout out to Brian. All right. So before I completely derailed us, um, Isaac was going to put forth the idea that he had for today's yes. episode. Yeah. So I'm just going to pontificate for a couple of minutes, if sure. that's cool. And then we can just do the usual crack it open for discussion. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. So I actually wanted to talk a little bit about time. Which leads to the obvious question of what does time have to do with Easter? And you'll, I think, see in a moment where I'm going with this. But the first thing I want to say is don't worry, this is not a technical discussion about time, like A theory of time versus B theory versus moving spotlight theory, which makes my head hurt, you know, that Thank kind of goodness. thing. Thank goodness. Yes. But I would say that um, kind of intuitively, regardless of whatever viewpoint of time we hold, or, you know, really, most of us probably don't even think about theories of time, you know. But kind of our experience and our intuitive uh, feeling is, for those of us in the West, that we see time in kind of a linear fashion. It's one moment, succeeded by another, succeeded by another, by another. Sure. And uh, it's kind of like drawing a line with a pencil, and the previous moments drop off into the past, and it's like a line. It's linear. And one of the things which arises from that viewpoint of time is that moments of the past can only be accessed again via memory. We don't actually get to go back to the past, right? Um, or if we, if we do, like we think about the past too much, people will get critical and say, you're living in the past, but we're not really living in it, right? It's just thinking about it quite a bit. Right. And so as Catholics, we hear a lot about sacred time, liturgical time. We think about our calendar, our seasons. And so what I kind of want to point out is that this linear view of time, while I think that as our ordinary, natural kind of temporal existence goes, is a completely fair and reasonable way to think about time, is not the whole story. 
When we enter into religious, mystical, and sacred considerations, things begin to get a little bit different. Yeah. Um, the ancient Jews, at least uh, in a religious setting, they had a different view of time. They did not have a linear view of time. And actually, the Catholic Church doesn't have that linear view of time either when we think of, of uh, sacred time. So where I kind of wanted to go with this is to take a very quick look at the Passover. And this is very fascinating to me. The original Passover, as we hear described in Exodus chapter 12, is the one and only actual Passover, right? It's the only time that Jewish people were in bondage to Egypt and were actually delivered uh, through the blood of the lamb, the angel passing over, right? It was a one-time event. And they were given a certain liturgy to go with this, certain rubrics, how you dressed, how you ate, Later on, there would be hymns and prayers and psalms, you know, added to this, and it's still being celebrated today. Um, but it was said to be celebrated, needed to be celebrated every single year following that, and, and still is, you know, up until the time of Christianity, and still is among Juda in, within Judaism. And it is described as being a memorial. And I think when we have that more linear view of time, when we think of a memorial, we think of something that makes us remember a past event, like a statue or a column or a plaque on the wall, right? But that is actually not how the Jews viewed the Passover. When we move a little bit further in the Bible for the later Passovers, we see this liturgical addition of a conversation was supposed to happen. The son would ask the father, why are we doing this? Why is this night different from all other nights? Mm. And dad would reply, not by saying, well, great, great, great grandpa was stuck in Egypt and God delivered him. And so now we're all happily living in the promised land. He would say, I was a slave in Egypt. It became very personal. You know, I was there. I was delivered. Even though clearly whoever is saying this wasn't in Egypt at that time frame. Sure. Yeah. And the ancient rabbis actually took this somewhat literally. They believe that in a mystical way, the memorial of the Passover um, did make that first Passover present as if you were participating in the deliverance from Egypt in the first Passover again, even though on the temporal linear time frame, you seem to be well removed from that. And I think as Christians, this becomes really, really powerful for us because God is eternal, Yeah, not everlasting. It's not like he just endures forever. He is eternal. He's and ever-present now. So events that in our eyes were past, present, or future on our temporal linear time frame are still just a present now to God. And so with the incarnation, we have this intersection of eternal and time. We have the intersection of God and man, spiritual and material. Mm. And at any point in which we enter into that mystery, we stop getting stuck in a linear time frame. Yes. Right? Right. We can now participate from like almost an eternal perspective with events which to us seem to have been in the past or seem to be in the future, right? So let's think about that with the Triduum and with Easter. The reason I bring this up is because when we celebrate Mass, <coughs> it is not really a new Mass, right? We're participating in the Mass that Christ celebrated in the Upper Room on Holy Thursday. Yeah. It's kind of like there's only ever been one Mass, when we call it the sacrifice of the Mass, it's not a new sacrifice of Jesus. We, in our temporal time, get to participate in the one sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. We receive the fruits of that. It is present to us now, 
even if in our minds it happened 2,000 years ago, right, we get to enter into that, well, the same is true of Easter. And maybe we don't think about this one as much. We also think Easter, that's when Christ rose in our timeline 2,000 years ago. But every Sunday, Easter particularly, but every Sunday, we get to participate in that, the reality, the power of the resurrection. That not just the forgiveness enacted on the cross, but the triumph now over sin, over death, over bondage, right? We're given that new life. And I think that because we live in this linear timeline, and that's how we think of things 90% of the time, unless we're really steeped in the church's mystical liturgical understanding of sacred time, we look at these events as celebrations of past events, hmm. memories of past events. We call to mind what happened 2,000 years ago. But I think the reality is what is far more powerful because that can get legalistic. Oh, Christ died for me 2,000 years ago, and that means that he wrote out a legal notice saying, I will be pardoned now in AD 2023. No, we're pardoned because we enter into the crucifixion. Right. Yeah. And it's not like Easter, joy, hallelujah, Christ rose 2,000 years ago. We're going to be happy today because we're remembering that happy moment. It's, no, we are saved because we enter into the resurrection. And there's lots we could talk about with this, but the, the final little thought to kind of encapsulate this that I wanted to share is, first of all, those can't just be memories. These have to be realities in our lives. Sure. If we do not enter actually into the suffering and death of Christ, we do not also enter into the resurrection, right? This has, these have to be ontological realities sure. in our life. And then the, the other thought was, to kind of put this simply, I think many of us have had this feeling, I know I have in my life, that we wish we could go back in time to the yeah. time of Christ. Maybe we even feel a little jealousy about the apostles that got to hang sure. out with him. Yeah. Maybe we have some moment of brokenness in our lives, perhaps some guilt or sin or tragedy, and we wish that we could go with St. John to the foot of the cross on Good Friday and fall in our faces and let that precious blood, which literally frees us, literally redeems us, literally saves us, pour over us and heal us. Or maybe we look at Easter and we see Mary Magdalene in the garden and Jesus comes to her and calls her by name. He names her who she is. And she knows her, knows him, and knows that he knows her. And she responds with love. Yeah. with everything that was lost and gone and broken in the world is now okay. And so we feel like, man, I wish I could be there. We can be. That's the reality is that the beauty of this is that 2,000 years removed, we do get to not just remember, but to actually, every time we go to the confessional, we don't just hear you've been forgiven, we're actually at the foot of the cross. Every time we go to Mass, we're actually in the upper room. Yeah. Every Sunday is Easter. So I just kind of want to encourage maybe myself, maybe anybody listening, this Easter season, to really take that to heart and think not of a past memory, but to think and pray, how do I enter into the lived experience of the power of the resurrection actually changing who I am today? It's moving. You know... Thank you, Isaac, for that Love. incredible reflection. Thanks for letting me talk so long. Yep, I loved it. And um, 
we warned Michael, our tech guy today, uh, that you might do some pontificating. No. Um, our guest switcher. Right, our guest switcher. But um, I'm not sure if anybody watching knows what a switcher is, let alone a guest switcher. Our guest. Uh, Switching between video, one video cameras and videographer. Right. The guy that makes us look better than right. it would if he wasn't here. <laughs> that's right. It's hard to make us look better. Yeah, it's true. Or worse. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that's to, what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> the second one. I wanted to say, in response to what you're saying, is this, this idea of memory and time and this incredible connection. Like, first off, all I could think about was Back to the Future and Doc Brown and the flux capacitor and all that right now. Um, but at the same time, so we are entering a time machine of sorts. I, uh, um, I, I have but, to say that's really nerdy, but all I could think about was Bill and Ted and Doctor <laughs> Who. It's more of the phone box, phone the booth. Excellent adventure. And yeah. also, uh, you know, even when Isaac was... Uh, well, we had talked to Father Father Hardesty uh, a, f a few episodes back, yeah. and he talked about how big a nerd he, he is and... I feel like I've lost a little bit of my my nerdy street cred, but Doctor Who back in the the late two thousands, yeah. I mean, that was my thing, and there that was keeps the, your nerdy street cred right, 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 right. And, and, and you have to go back in time for me. It's linear because I I don't keep up with Doctor Who anymore. But back in two thousand and seven, was this award winning episode called Blink? It's the one with the weeping angels. And uh, in the episode, the doctor, who's played by David Tennant at the time, he talks about uh, how time is not linear, that it's a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. What? And uh, the whole time when Isaac was talking, that's what that's what was coming to mind is that that time's not linear. It's a a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. So. Great Scott. <laughs> So That's I'm really ridiculous. glad to see the deep impact these reflections have. <laughs> so, well, we were derailed. Just, so yeah, yeah. Well, that was Flux some capacitors initial. and wibbly wobbly timey wimey. John, where, what point were you originally trying to make about before Thank you, you got into the DeLorean? I was yeah. just trying to make a passing comment that turned into this. But uh, when it comes to... Is your name Calvin? No. Okay. Time and doing this in remembrance of me. Yeah. Connecting to either memory or something that I heard from uh, from someone, and actually many times, that we live in a culture that oftentimes is focused on anything that brings division and dismemberment to some mm -hmm. extent, right? And Solve et coagula, that, that tearing apart, that's what... Uh, uh, Baphomet does. He has it tattooed on his arms. If you look at those scary uh, demonic pictures, it says Salve et Coagula, and, and, and it's to tear apart and then put Coagula, like coagulate, yeah. and put back together in a in a disturbing uh, chimera of a way, you yes. know. But it, but as you were saying, sorry to, no, sorry to interject it's the, that. It's the absolute truth. In fact, it, it's so funny, like the the cultural and social things you can find on YouTube, right? I mean, here we are, if any of our viewers found us on YouTube, hopefully this is something that brings and remembers, right? But things that dismember, I mean, it. I have a point with this, but uh, the first thought that came as you said this is this old 90s commercial. Remember Capri Sun? Like oh, yeah. The kids would drink them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, like, they'd turn into blobs and fly around and go, and then all of a sudden they're back. Uh, well, there uh, was Michael, this... do you remember that commercial? No. Yeah, I, I, that, commercial. I don't think you were born <laughs> when that commercial came out. Are you mic'd up? Hey, you need uh, a mic'd uh, up. Yeah. My, my Are you now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think you're on. Yeah, I'm 
I'm too young. I'm only 21. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. It's older. Um, it's definitely older than 21 years old it now. It definitely is now. But there's a video that came out maybe five, 10 years ago that was kind of a every 90s commercial ever. Yeah. Nice. I'm not recommending to watch this unless, you know, you're ready to be shocked. But I was watching it thinking it was a nostalgic commercial. And it literally had like three or four kids like playing with those Nerf football things. And then yeah. they drank. And then they became these blobs. And then when they came to another spot, they came back together. And they were literally a whole big blob of monster eating people. It was a, kind of disturbing, but also strangely humorous. I mean, it was just so weird. But I say this because that is a perfect image to me of our culture. Sure. And what they look at life and humanity and and love as being about just do whatever you want with whoever agrees, however long it lasts, live and let live, let's learn to coexist. And we become this uh, society of people living in collective isolation from one another in this unhealthy unity of rebellion. And that is what dismembers, destroys, yeah, leads like to dis despair. It's like, I think what, what you're saying is we're disjointed, but then the way of putting the back together is all in the wrong places. So yes. we become sort of, you know, our culture becomes a monstrosity, you know, something instead of a humanity. Yes, it's the exact opposite, the antithesis. Or a right? ball of timey-wimey, what was it, wibbly-wobbly? Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey yeah. stuff. Well, John, you just said something about do this in remembrance of me, which ties And that's what I was getting to. Okay, right? go, ahead, right? go ahead and get to so it. So it's, it's, you know, the society that we live in oftentimes can dismember but Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. And this has to do with our bodies, you know, and what we can do in our minds. I mean, I, I'm oftentimes teaching and I'll ask a young person that I'm preparing for confirmation or whatever. Sure. After we watched a three, four, five minute video. All right. Is there anything in this video that made sense to you? And they will say no. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I think that's just how young people answer everything. I get that. But. I also get other young people in the rooms who watch the same video at the That's same moment say too. profound things, right? <laughs> and so I had this profound moment where he said, um, where he was thinking, or we broke open something that had literally been discussed in the video. Okay. And he didn't even remember it, didn't hear it. And it was, it was a recognition <coughs> that he's he? one of the kids in okay. this class that I've been teaching. And he said... Um, something along the lines of, I just, I, I just didn't pay much attention to it. And when we were talking about removing distractions from our life, he said, how do you do that? And what I was realizing is that he doesn't have his phone out. He's not getting up and walking around. He's doing nothing but sitting there quietly watching and listening. And he can't the distraction is internal. It's the distraction in the mind. And that's what can often happen to the things that we view on social media, to the things we do uh, with other people, the people we hang out with, the, the things we talk about, the things that we think about. You definitely distract me quite a bit. Sure. You create a lot of distraction yep. in here. Well, Same I'm with Isaac. Sorry. But to me, that is the dismemberment. But Christ wants to bring unity and focus yeah. and doing this in remembrance of me to me, as you said, brings time and humanity together yeah. in a way that respects our personhood, body yeah. and soul. And instead of being cluttered or distracted, it brings a focus to one's life, which also can include a mental focus, 
as well as yes. everything else. Um, I think that most of us, even without our phones, to your point, are very, uh, um, very distracted and cluttered. I know that my thoughts tend to bounce around like little little ping pong balls. You know, right. that's, that's my personal viewpoint of the inside of my mind. Yeah, uh, but you think of bring every thought captive or subject to Christ. Right? There's a there's a degree of mental discipline that does need to happen. In the Christian life, or I think in any in any life that's going to be um, that's going to flourish, but you're talking about do this in remembrance of me, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't think about going there, but this is important because at the Last Supper, Christ says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Exactly. If we read that as modern Westerners, we will think that means remember me when you do this. Right. It's not right. a memory. It's something now, different. Of course. We can. It can also be very clearly demonstrated. We did an episode on this on the Eucharist uh, some months back, mm-hmm. right? That Christ means these words very literally. This is my body and this is my blood. So even if all he meant was remember me when you do this, that could still make sense because what we see in front of us doesn't look like Jesus, right? So we'd still want to focus our minds in on remembering him and what he did for us. Right. But the argument could be made, well, look, if Christ is just saying do this in, remem- do this in memory of me, then then he must not really be there, right? It must be a symbol, not not a literal reality. But what we've already seen in talking about the Passover is remembrance in a liturgical or religious setting to the Jews. And the word do this, this is very important. That word, as it is used in the the word for do, um, as it is used in the three... um, Gospels, mass, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is a word frequently that has um, ritual religious overtones to it in the sense of offering, right, or sacrificing. It's not just do as in do this, like go sit down or go walk to the store. It has a sort of overtone of offer this. And what when you dig into this, what this is really going on here is do this as a memorial offering. Well, in the Jewish mind, to speak of the Passover, the memorial offering of Passover made present the reality being remembered. So we have to, again, be sure that we do not read this in a 21st century Western context, but we read it um, as Christ would have intended it within the social and religious context of its time. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's a stretch, and this is also one of the reasons that we know that Christ is instituting the priesthood there. Because he says to the 12 disciples, do this, this is like a priestly term, right? It's like, offer this, perform this memorial offering, and he's commanding the 12 to do that. He is, it's imperative. He is there, yeah, he is thereby establishing them as the minister's of this new memorial offering yeah mm-hmm. and it's one which will make present so you can pull from different sources here but you can almost say it's like offer this memorial offering which makes me present um uh, regularly right yes that's kind of the idea yeah that's cool and to me remembrance that idea has less to do with just recalling something to my, to our minds in memory which is good right as you yeah. said but it's about the resurrection remembering it's like if someone's dead our bodies decay and eventually 
they feel scattered and dismembered eventually. Whether they don't actually feel when they're dead. <clears throat> oh, you're right. You're right. You're <laughs> right. No, you're right. And that is what but in that, that, sense, that right? is death. When we become separated, body from blood or bits of the body, right? That is death. Yes. And that's utterly tragic, a cosmic obscenity, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we mourn and grieve and don't desire death. We want to live forever. And some people will try to grasp at it and control it and manufacture it. And we become basically cyborg, you know, uh, less human. They call it transhumanism, but I call it less humanism, oh, yeah. right? And remembrance has to do with bringing the body back together. And since we as human beings in our fallen state and our brokenness are broken, shattered, dismembered, in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, in our bodies even, then the Eucharist becomes a chance for us to be remembered, reconstituted, resurrected. I mean, it is called but the only sacrament through, of unity. Yes, it brings us back this together. This is like the vision of Ezekiel. Remember the Valley of the Dry Bones. Mm. First, he prophesies <laughs> yes. over them. He prophesies son of man over these dry bones. Right? He does, and they come together. So there's that unity first, that which they aren't even bodies, and then skin and flesh comes upon them, and then it's prophesy again, and then the Spirit fills them, and then it says they stand on their feet, an exceedingly great army, which that's a really awesome image to think of with uh, Easter coming up here, yeah. with the birth of the church, you know, the resurrection of Christ. Mm. This is an interesting little thought that is related, but kind of off subject. I just want to throw out there, because, you know, you guys all know that I'm a huge fan of St. Thomas Aquinas. Of yeah. course. I'm actually, in fact, wearing an Aquinas t-shirt underneath of this shirt that my wife got me that um, <laughs> it says introverted but willing to discuss Thomistic metaphysics. She got it for me for Christmas, and it's like the best t-shirt. It's a I've great t-shirt. So awesome. you. That is so you. That's good. Um, <laughs> but so Thomas makes an interesting point. There was kind of a debate going on in his time about the body of Christ in the tomb. This was a theological debate. And there were some Franciscans, uh, theologians, that had an idea. They were trying to... I already don't like it. No, I'm just playing. Right. Yes. It's terrible. How dare they? Franciscans. Uh, the, the idea very roughly was there was some confusion over the fact that when a person dies, right, to be considered fully human, we have to be both body and soul. So we say at death, the soul um, continues to exist, but you're not fully human, right? right? Until the resurrection, until you get the body back. You're a person, but not fully human. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it is. So there was some kind of question going on, and don't ask me to uh, either remember or understand all this, but there was a debate. <laughs> it's one of those like upper level... We, we wouldn't anyway. Upper level no. theological debates where you start you, getting really fine details. You're already like 10 steps above my head, so we're just we're just listening from down here, yeah. <laughs> What's going on now? <laughs> but roughly, like, if I remember correctly, it was something along the lines of how would you consider the body of Christ in a tomb as actually Christ's body? Because once the soul, which is in kind of traditional philosophy they would have been using at the time, sure. the, the principle of life or the form of the body is absent from it, then it's just matter. It's not actually a human body anymore, right? That was kind of the idea. Sure. And so the Franciscans had a very complex way, which I don't know, of trying to explain this, right? And Thomas came along very incisively and solved it. I'm not saying it's the only solution. I'm not going to say if he was right or wrong, but it makes such brilliant sense to me and it's really beautiful. Christ was body, soul, and divinity. Mm -hmm. Christ as a human person was united hypostatically to the divinity, to God, which means his soul was united to God, and so was his body. 
At death, what caused the death is the separation of soul and body. Now, did his soul, which went to preach to the souls in prison, did his soul cease being united to the divinity? Well, no, of course not. Well, Thomas's point is, why would we think his body was? Yeah. So in other words, the body in the tomb, it's physically dead in the sense it was separated from the human soul, but it was not separated from the divinity. It was still united but to God. But the soul was also united to the divinity. Right. Because but in a Christ way that... as man, was, his body and soul were both united to divinity. So even when you separate his body and soul, they're both still united to divinity. So God's body is still in the tomb, right? It's not just like matter, um, which also might help explain why it wouldn't corrupt. And that's what gives reason for the respect of the human body after death, which is why we have Catholic it will, funerals. It will be reestablished with the, the living principle of the soul at some point, right? So it's a very precious thing. Even if in and of itself laying there, it's like, okay, well, it's just matter now. It receives a form of the human soul, something really special. But I thought that was a really fascinating little tidbit was his idea that the body of Christ laying there in the tomb separated from the living human soul, was still united to the God. Div- it's pretty interesting. Yeah, to think about. I think that's awesome. Uh, it kind of also pushes me towards this memento mori, remember death. Uh, and, mm. and I'm going to key in a couple of things that both of you have said in the last couple of minutes and, and kind of circle back. But there does seem to be two competing, um, John had said, you know, that, that no one wants to die and that, that everyone's kind of looking for this, this immortality uh, to some degree. And, and whereas the Christian puts his or her hope in the resurrection of Christ uh, on Easter uh, by way of the cross, mm-hmm. the secular solution is this strange uh, technological future where maybe you upload your soul into data online in some way is what they're actually... Have you ever seen The Island? No, no. Does it it have a similar concept? It's kind of a a way to live forever sort of idea. Well, it reminds me of Marvel and Captain America or one of the uh, Avengers where the uh, Hydra comes back and like one of the guys comes back and put his consciousness into a computer. The doctor who was behind it, Dr. uh, I can't remember his name. It starts with Z, doesn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah something. and the Winter Soldier. You remember that? It was so in, well, yeah, kind of terrifying, Soul, but it made it was then. kind of a visual of honestly what I fear and believe transhumanistic philosophies lead to. Sure, it, it does. It does seem like, um, I, and and I've seen all kinds of of these nightmare, different nightmare uh, scenarios that that do divorce. Um, Humanity from humans, almost. It, yeah. Another one, uh, there's a book, it was called uh, Sapiens, I believe. came out a few years ago, and, and, it, and it said Without something. Without the homo? Yeah, I think so. It just said Sapiens, Sapiens, which I didn't even think about. Yeah. Uh, which I, I really think is something they might have been alluding to. I don't remember too much about the book, other than there was some solution of once we reached this point that, um, you know, we live forever— Something about drugs just making our conscience feel this euphoria as as part of their solution. I think that they put <laughs> forth in there. And, and it always leads all, to that. All of it. Gosh. All of it seems like kind of a dystopian nightmare, and and that need to remove or that that uh, attempt to remove suffering from the human equation. 
uh, and I, I don't have the answer to this, but it, it does seem like a big part of what makes these things so horrific. It seems better to me to live, to suffer, to die uh, in a normal way with the hope of the resurrection, putting my hope in Christ, putting my hope in that cross that he, he bore for me uh, and that I can unite my sufferings to, to his cross and thus give them meaning to receive sanctifying grace and be in communion with God, that is much more consoling to me than the thought of, um, even even if you, you take the most, uh, you know, the world and creation is just this disordered, uh, absurd mess. If you take the most extreme approach, the Christian view is it, just still so much more pleasing to the soul than, oh, well, let's figure out this weird way very specific technology in a very specific time uh, to solve the issue. It just seemed, it just twisted. No matter what they come up with, if it's a nano, nanobots, whatever in the future, it just doesn't seem to hold that water. And unfortunately, like you were saying with the solve at coagula, how I, we were talking about the solve at coagula, and you were talking about the breaking down and the re-piecing together, <laughs> it does seem like uh, Frankenstein. on a mental level, we're uh, being reprogrammed all the time. We were talking about having a shorter attention span. Um, Sorry, what were we talking about? Yeah, yeah. We're talking about having the shorter attention span and even internally without a device. And and I see this all the time. And it's caused by spending too much time on those devices. But then even the legacy media and other people, their interactions are this kind of short attention span, this very distracted uh, presence because of this influence of technology. And then... You can take a break from it. You can just go to mass. You can go for a hike. You can read a book and re-engage with uh, media and knowledge and truth in a way that expands your attention span, that edifies your soul. But just like uh, when you, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but you know, like many people probably struggle with weight as you get older. Um, it's a lot easier to gain 20 pounds and eat McDonald's cheeseburgers every day and hit the drive-thru on your way home from work every day and get whatever you want. It's a lot easier to do that than to step back and eat your kale and eat your salad and cut your calories and go work out and put that work in. I think in a similar way, um, the the technology, it's it's easy to get your brain distracted, to be pointed towards this um, this broken down uh technologically centric future it's a lot easier to push towards that and kind of numb your brain Mm -hmm. than it is to face reality and and to get better at living in reality at being in communion with with god but also with other people so right because that's one of the things that i think with technology we have lost is a real connection with other people as well not just with god Uh, two thoughts Dad, while you were talking, connected with that, one is since we've been talking about movies and stuff here, uh, sort of unintentionally in the course of this, is remember the scene in The Matrix when Morpheus was captured in, in the first Matrix movie. Yeah. And um, Agent Smith is talking to him and he tells him, this is really very profound, that there was an earlier version of The Matrix yeah. in which everything was perfect 
but humans rebelled against it. Yes. Because he said, it was like too much perfection. He said, apparently you all, what is it? Something like achieve your identity through suffering or something like yeah. that, right? So they had to recreate a different program that would enable there to be problems and pain and suffering because they couldn't handle it. That's a pretty profound yeah. thought-provoking moment in that movie. Um, I remember thinking when I watched it recently, I, I didn't catch it when I was a kid. I'm like, yeah. it wasn't one of the action scenes where the bullets are flying past Neo's face. <laughs> right. But when I watched it on my second watch, uh, more recently, I've already forgotten this part until you brought it up just now. But I remember thinking like, this is a, there's, a very, there's something very Christian mm -hmm. in this scene, in this conception. I don't know if it comes from Dostoevsky influence or what, but it, it stood out to me. And I couldn't remember, I had forgotten that scene until this moment. And when you're saying it, I'm like, no, I remember that was so important. I just can't remember what they said. Well, yeah. there's also, continuing the, the Matrix theme with what you were saying, there's two really thought-provoking moments that are related to this later on. One is when Neo has just been rescued from the Matrix for the first time, and they are rebuilding him, right? So he's been living in this fake world the yeah. whole time going to the office and all this but in reality yeah. his body hasn't been right so remember he wakes up on the table little dingy room and he's got all these like needle things stuck in Oof, him and they're like yeah. you're, we're rebuilding your muscles because they're fundamentally atrophied and because he asks like what's going on and they say we're rebuilding your muscles you know they're, yeah. they're atrophied and he <coughs> says why do my eyes hurt and i think it's maybe trinity she says because you've never used them before yeah and this is this is very profound because there are a lot of Christian themes throughout that movie because we think of baptism, right? Uh, baptism is that moment of awakening, that moment of illumination, that moment of deliverance from the bondage we were under. Like, let's say that's the matrix. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we're guaranteed an easy life. We are going to start seeing reality for the first time, and, and sometimes that can hurt. It's There's going to be some challenges. And one of the things that's very fascinating to me is... And this isn't, this isn't a, a, a great analogy because in the Christian faith, in the Christian life, there's so many beautiful moments. Absolutely. But it is interesting that when they are freed from the matrix and they get rid of the illusions of the program, the real world, Morpheus refers to it as the desert of the real, is pretty bleak at their time. Oh, right? Yeah. It's not a pretty place. And everything, what was it, tastes like tasty wheat or I forget exactly, uh, yeah. like all the food they eat. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the traitor, the Judas, right, in the yeah. story, that is one of the most profound moments in the scene as he's back in the Matrix, uh, meeting with, uh, who, who does he meet with? It's not Smith. It's one I, th of one. I thought Maybe he was it, with Smith. It might, yeah. might be Smith. And he's sitting in this beautiful restaurant and he's eating a rare steak and he's drinking a glass of red wine. And he's like, basically saying, I... He says, I, in return for the betrayal of Morpheus, I want to be put back into this, and I don't want to remember anything about what happened before. And he cuts off a slice of the steak, and he's like, I know this isn't real. And he puts it in his mouth and says something effective like, but, oh, man, this is great. And so there is this, I would rather accept the illusion yeah. because it's more pleasing. But to your point, instinctively, and all of us, we can't but all help feeling that even if the real world was bleak and desolate and hard and painful, that somehow that's the right choice sure. rather than living in the illusion. Yes. Every time. Yes. I, um, I was, it's a profound uh, movie. I was going through the, speaking of going through drive throughs on your way home, um, yesterday I was um, 
uh, enjoying. I uh, thought Isaac would be the one that jumps the drive through. Remember the first couple episodes? Yeah, old time first about. episode. But the first like five, you only made you made a fast food reference in like every <laughs> single one. Oh, it was only like two. <laughs> Well, I, I was uh, so I was like getting six. <laughs> I was getting some fast food. I was waiting for a uh, uh, family. We were watching a volleyball game with uh, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. It's pretty fun. Um, and so I went and picked something up. And in the drive-through, I was shocked. Never had this experience before. But a robot answered me. And there was no option. It's not like on a phone you can just press until you get to talk to someone. It was literally, that was your option. And I answered, I said what I ordered because I stood in line, sat in line for so long. I was like, what? I wait. It's due to staffing shortages. Yes, and I saw that, now hiring all that stuff. And so I ordered my food and they didn't, the robot didn't speak back my order at all. So I had no idea if I actually got, they got the order right. Yeah. They got the order right, which is creepy, first off. Um, <laughs> I got to the window and said, wow, man, thanks. Uh, I didn't expect to uh, be talking to a robot. And his response was, man, it's so great. I love that thing. This is the future. Yeah. That was the most impersonal experience I've ever had. I mean, there have been it times. it just doesn't feel right, No, it? it is the worst. I, I thought, oh you, I thought you were going to say the guy, like, peeled off his face and be like, <laughs> I am a robot. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's what it feels like. And this is the world people are just eating up. They have no yeah. problem with it because it's scary to talk to a real person because algorithms, to some extent, can be controlled more than human hearts, human souls. Right. Human persons. And it also makes the need for what makes our humanity special obsolete. Yes. Because the, the robot, the program, the technology can fulfill the practical things that we do. And if we have decided that that is all that life consists of, then what makes us unique as humans, the actual humanity of our, of our beings, our interpersonal relationships, our loves, our ideas, and all that, that just begins to become unnecessary in a very sad way. I think it's interesting in our conversation today, first of all, that we keep having movie references and uh, that the first two were, were really profound. Um, Back to the Future and <laughs> Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Balls of Stuff. And Bill and Ted's Excellent and Adventure. So, right, right, right. So this is this is mine. Do you all remember that horribly stupid movie, Dude, Where's My Car? Oh yeah, that was such a bad movie. That was terrible. It's is this, is terrible. That, that's the first time I remember seeing uh, Ashton Kutcher in anything. Yeah. So, so I'm not know, recommending this movie. My, for all Michael, do you remember uh, "Dude, Where's My Car"? No, I'm too young for that as well. Okay. <laughs> I think that came out about when Mike was born, probably. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Great. I guarantee it. Uh, but, and so or, I'm not recommending the movie, but I, I might have possibly seen it in my younger days. And you remember the drive-through scene? It was all I could think of. Uh, the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I can't where, remember. Where it every all. time they order something, the reply is just "and then." And he's like, oh, "Okay, I'll take some fried rice <laughs> and then okay, some egg rolls." And they finally get mad and like smash the the uh, <laughs> the drive-through like audio thing, and it's just like. And then <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was the uh, speaking of like the the de-evolution of things into like stupider and stupider i feel that like i feel like it started with like wayne's world and bill and ted were like really good and then dumb and dumber is like slightly less but that same buddy comedy thing yeah. and like dude where's my car is like the final like that was the end you can watch that and not have a single brain cell in your head and probably be better off 
Well, you can, ha- you can watch them not have a single brain cell after you're done watching you, oh, it, it, it. It will destroy what's well, left. Well, in, in those same days, you had movies <laughs> uh, like iRobot coming out, Bicentennial Man, if you ever remember that, with oh, Robin yeah. Williams. Yeah. I loved that movie at the time, but as I look back, and I was like, that's actually really creepy, thinking well, about you're robot who his head would around. eventually become human, and everyone would accept that. And He did kind of a, a futuristic Benjamin Button. Yes, he did, right. <laughs> of but, course, it's metaphysically impossible. Can't ever be really human. Exactly, exactly, and this is this is. And I do mean that. I do mean that it is metaphysically impossible. It's not just wishful thinking. I know. And we could maybe some episode dig into that. Yeah, but I think that's a big topic in itself. No longer like a futuristic sci-fi discussion. The fact that this is this is what people really believe. Attempt. Well, look at um, who's the um, the 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 head of the uh, World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab. Klaus Schwab. Like yeah, I want to say Charles German. Klaus Schwab. He is kind of right hand guy. The 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 doctor. I can't remember his name. It's a very difficult name. Um, there was an interview done with him. I, I want to say last year, and it was particularly terrifying. Partly because it wasn't even Klaus. It was his right hand guy who was a doctor. So all I could think about was like the all the, <coughs> the stereotypes of the the villain's right hand evil doctor henchman and yeah. all the, you know, yeah. the old the old classic movies. Yeah. But he was talking about. Being able to do biological manipulation to change humans. And this was no longer a secret thing. This was a public interview. The, vi- the videos are easy to find. This is no conspiracy theory stuff. This was like legitimately his conversation. But it sounds like it. It's so of crazy. Course it sounds, yeah, like, right. it sounds absolutely crazy. That doctor actually wrote that Sapiens book Eric was talking about. What? Interesting. What? What is this, no what is way. Name? I'll find it. Yeah. But so his comment, and this was the this was the most horrifying part of this interview, is he's talking about the ability to change humans in the future and he's saying look we have the technology to do this now like we're ready to we're ready to go with this kind of stuff what and he says uh but it's profoundly atheistic he said we will be able to make man he says not in the image of some god but in our image what this is the goal right this at the top levels of power in our world this is the goal Yes. This is no longer sci-fi fantasy, and so it is a terrifying consideration. But I think let's let's come let's come back to something more positive. And well, I right. was going to say this. <laughs> that's, yeah. what, that's what I was thinking. I, I was saying this because what we're dealing with in this world right now is what you started with, Isaac. Time is not linear on mm-hmm. this level. Time is like, and I've said this before, the philosophical thought of John Paul II when I was reading George Weigel's Witness to Hope. He was describing it less like many philosophers who look at a problem and tackle it from point A to point Z and then they tell you what they did, right? Mm-hmm. John Paul II talks about it like a spiral. Mm-hmm. You know, he, re- he walks around an issue, looks at the cultural context and all the things and, um, and as time goes on, he spends enough time about it that he gets on a deeper level and you hear more of the similar, but you're on a deeper level of understanding. And really what it is, is about getting, to the heart. getting into the heart of the matter or rather of the matter, mater, you know, the heart of Christ himself, and you find Christ within the womb of Mary at birth, but also at the foot of the cross. And, and the church, which is mother, which is exactly, mother. Exactly, mother church. Mm-hmm. And mother Mary was at the foot of the cross, right? So, so this getting into the heart of this is connecting what we have gone through and are going through and will go through in our society with transhumanism, transgenderism, and all the the sufferings of humanity, (coughs) 
<laughs> that is our Good Friday. Yeah. We are experiencing the death and uh, mockery of the church in today's world, right? Sure. I mean, the, the, the abuse scandal of the, the not just priests and bishops and cardinals, but of religious leaders and and so many people in secular society. It's happening on all spheres, but it is a crucifixion of sorts. Well, and I, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, it just seems like every year there's another institution or something or something that I love that becomes completely devalued in some way yes. and just mm -hmm. turns to dust. And I don't know. It, it does seem... You know, I was thinking earlier, my, my philosophy on it was, you know, maybe that's God destroying idols in my own life. But the fact that it doesn't seem like it's just me saying, you know, uh, I don't like country music anymore for this reason, but because of some horrific thing that happened that, that, that kind of affected uh, people's ability to, to love it or whatever the case may be sure. in, in all these instances, it does seem... Uh, it does seem a little bit of evil. It doesn't yeah, seem it like is. it is coming of God. It doesn't seem like God destroying idols. No. It does seem, um, yeah, there, there's, there's malice involved. There's always corruption in our world, right, in everything. But as long as there is some truth, goodness, and beauty, those can always serve as memories to bring, you know, reminders, triggers to bring us back to God. And evil is intent on destroying that. You know, you look at, you look at Lord of the Rings, you look at the land of Mordor, couldn't it have been an evil lord living in a beautiful country and just he's still evil? But no, it's utterly devoid of any form of life. There's not even a green thing, thing growing, right? I think that's, that's, to your point, kind of what we're seeing is, yeah, sure, country music may, it, you know, country music is not God. But there is something about some, some great form of music, maybe, which even if there's individuals in it that may have, you know, questionable lives or maybe corruption. Sure. That's always be, been the case. There, right. That's always the case with everything. Everything. But there can be things which can really still touch our minds and our memories and our souls and our hearts, you know, beauty, truth and goodness um, in many different areas. And yet I think that those are kind of coming under attack to remove the last vestiges I, of that. I think of Disney, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, we grew up with it being a family company, a lot of beautiful things and, and fun cartoons that we all kind of got absorbed, you know, on some level. Um, and now it's, what are they going to do with these beloved characters, mm -hmm. you know, well, and, and in the future? More, more than just that. Is, can you expose your children the, to this? Is the specific agendas uh, which you know, the higher-ups have, have indicated that they're they're attempting to push through the movies now. It's very explicit at yes. this point. But I, you said a couple of things, John, if I can just say this. Um, first of all, I couldn't help but come think of going back to the Garden of Eden. We've talked about this on the show before. The devil hates God. Let's get that basic about it, right? <laughs> yeah. But the devil can't hurt God. Correct. And so I think I think maybe in a past episode you I remember using this analogy of image. if you really hate somebody and they're not around, you might just take their photograph and stomp on it, right? Because that's an image of the Tear person in you half, hate. Whatever you got to do. Mm -hmm. And this is why the devil has attacked humans from the beginning is is not because um, of anything we can do to him or anything like that, right? It's because the Bible is very clear we were made in the image of God, right? In a very special way a way that even the angels weren't quite. And so, right, the devil can't do anything to God directly, but it's like we're a bunch of pictures of God, 
And he's like, I'm going to take these and throw them on the floor and stomp on them because I hate that, what they represent. Imago Dei. Right. The Imago Dei, the image of God, has been under attack since that first day in the garden, right? That has always been the point. And did you notice, I I just did a paper on this uh, on Saturday. One thing that stood out to me when I was reading the scripture, because I had to read it over and over, I think it's Genesis 1, 26 and 27, 27, 28. I can't remember the two verses. But uh, it says three times, if you remove the verses, it says three times in that one one small blip, uh, thrice are are humans said to be made in the image Mm. and likeness of God. Three times. It's Trinitarian. It's very Trinitarian. And uh, let us make man in our image. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's profound. Again, three times. Let us make man in our image. Yeah. And that, that's very profound because one of the things with the Trinity, I'd, I'd never thought of that before, is that the Trinity is a community of love. So each angel is made in the image of God, right? That's true too. Angels are made in the image of God. But what's distinct about us and the angels is that part of are being made in the image of God is not just individuals, but like in family life, right? Is the ability to procreate, to come together in a community of love and produce new life. So yeah. there's a very profound Trinitarian aspect. Yes, that's that that's the whole have, goal. <laughs> right. We have this different than the angelic uh, image. But to, so going back to Genesis also brings us full circle of what we've been talking about and the future is again, is not something like transhumanism, just simply the latest in a very long and not terribly original series of attempts to destroy the image of the human image, right? Yeah. Which is made in the image of God. Right. And John, you said when you were talking about this a moment ago and John Paul II, and you talked again about that linear viewpoint of time, going back to the opening of today's show, my main thought had been about how with this, uh, in this uh, idea of sacred time, we can enter into and participate in a past event. But because God is an ever-present now, there's a sense of future there as well. Mm -hmm. Think of the book of Revelation. Everybody always kind of goes crazy with trying to decipher it, right? You know, What does it mean? When's the world going to end? Who's the Antichrist? The reality is it's almost outside of time. Mm -hmm. There's so many themes woven together that are past, present, and future in that book that it's not just like a futuristic prophecy. The Catechism says that um, if you're waiting for the Antichrist... In or, or I'm sorry, if you're waiting for these events to kind of transpire within the context of time, you are waiting for the Antichrist um, because it is. It does happen outside the narrative of history to some degree. Yeah. yeah. And I think mm. where I want to go with that is when we look at things like we've been talking about, they can be negative and fearful, right? They can be truly fearful. They can be truly concerning. We have to remember uh, people say this a lot. And it can sound trite, like we know how the story ends. But let's think about that reality for a moment too. We are, we start off talking about participating in the resurrection of Christ, (laughs) right? And we, in some way, get to participate in even the ascension of Christ. Also, if we are in Christ, we get to participate in his mysteries. His suffering, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, which also means his final triumph and victory. Um, I am persuaded to St. Paul that there is nothing which can separate us from the love of God. So that doesn't mean that we go about carelessly and don't think about our own ability to sin and fall away from God. Our, our end of the story, we don't know yet as individuals, right? We pray and hope, but we don't know that. 
But I think we do need to keep in mind is so that we do not despair in the darkness of our times, that we do also get to participate in the future victory of Christ. And that, that, is, that is assured. That has already happened. It's incredible. But we had to get through the death. I mean, that's the only way. If you, if yeah. you don't experience death, there's nothing to be resurrected from. And so when we talk about these terrible things that have hit us in society, where these originally sci-fi conspiracy type things are now becoming real conversations that people actually believe in and are trying to make happen, that's not about being hopeless and despairing. It's about entering into dysfunction, pain, and sin, addressing it, and then conquering it with divine mercy. And it only happens through the cross. And that is what this week is. I mean, uh, God willing, this episode is released on Good Friday, you know, that, that there can be this this unit, united effort. Sounds like John kind of hedging. God, God willing, it's on right? Good I mean, Friday. That's, I mean, that's or my Holy plan. Saturday. Or, or, or Holy Thursday Saturday. Or tomorrow, you know, anyway. Right, right. We'll see if No God, pressure, John. No pressure. Or 10 right? minutes after we uh, we stand up from... Right. Uh, uh, okay, John's going to edit it all together right now. No. <laughs> Um, I, I will get it done as quickly as I can, but you know, for those watching at home, I, I just think it's, it's important that we, that we look at all of the things that are happening in our world, not with a spirit of anger or, um, hopelessness. I mean, righteous yeah. anger to some extent for things that shouldn't be destroyed, but that are. Sure. But, and not, not disproportional. Right. But not disproportional. I, I have righteous anger over John's jacket, for example. <laughs> I love it. That was actually a great jacket. And the orange vest. That's right. But well, I had to be, you know, there was some level of wearing the yellow, Easter outfit. The yellow Easter. shirt. But I the mean, red is the blood of Christ. Right. The so orange got, is the fire of the Holy Spirit. The yellow is the, the bright the fire sun of the, Holy Spirit of the resurrection. Also be John's so the much more intentional than I am. Is the colors of all the Easter eggs we're going to hunt on Sunday. I'm really Which, glad I wore a neutral outfit. Well, of to course. Say, yeah, well, I was kind of sad when you came. But that's all right. I, I wanted to say this uh, when it comes to Easter eggs. All well, right? This so, is Good Friday. Good Friday. And then Easter Sunday right Easter here. Easter Sunday. In the Sunday, flesh. And Isaac is... He's Holy Easter Saturday. Vigil. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Somewhere in between. The so, start you know, of the Easter. Not completely dark. We've got a little bit of brightness light going on here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I've got to say... shadow. I've got to say the the... As I brought up the Easter eggs, it's funny, um, in our uh, Exodus 90 meeting on Saturday, I brought this up knowing that everybody would be like thinking it's just this secular idea, which it can be. You turn out Easter bunny, Easter eggs, blah, blah, blah. I grew up with my grandma. I'm really sad you brought up the Easter bunny on this I Easter Sunday podcast. But yeah. this is intentional. We were going to try to have this like an absolutely Easter bunny you free episode. You can't do this. You can't do this with me. Peter Cottontail. I literally grew up every year. Hunting Easter eggs in my grandma's yard every year for my whole life. Now it's my yard. You know, my wife and I live just, in her house. And did I you find it when you right into this conversation about the Easter Bunny? Jumped right in. Uh, yes. In fact, as right, I pulled into my right driveway yeah. last night, my wife and I saw a bunny. So he must have been hiding. Okay, I'm done with that. Did you find any of the eggs your grandma had when you were a kid while you've been mowing <laughs> yes. since you lived there? Now? I want to know about the great. They pumpkin. weren't old moldy eggs. They were plastic. Whatever. The point is, guys. The stop money? it. Where the money ones <laughs> money chocolate coins oh, okay. uh, little slips of paper that my grandma wrote on that she bought things from dollar tree and gave us you know presents we still do that that's a family tradition um we give gifts away and bubbles and whatnot and the kids have fun the rest of the day and it's total chaos but the point of this is um 
and I never knew this, and, and don't quote me on it directly, but I know that it's either been a, a, a tradition that was Christianized from pagan times or the pagans took it over or vice versa or both and, okay? But at did at. you ever hear that the Easter egg, the symbolism for the Easter egg is the empty tomb? And then when you're searching for the Easter eggs, there's some level of searching, just as the apostles ran to the empty tomb to verify what they'd heard and to become witnesses of the resurrection. So when you open up an Easter egg, there's candy, there's richness, there's treasure, there's good things. It's meant to remind you, not just of the Easter bunny or the secularized version, but it's meant to remind you of good things come to those who search for Christ and trust in his promises. John, Amen. I think that is an... Excellent example. <laughs> I knew there was nothing that would come from what I just shared. No, that's it was awesome. similar to our reaction to your long pontification of yeah, our Back you. to well, the Future that's, Doctor Who. References. That is one of the prop. To your point, though, really, I, mm -hmm. I liked Isaac's comment better than than, than what I'm about to say. But <laughs> um, to your point, I mean, that is one of the promises of our Lord: Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you, that that if you seek Christ first, I just had this conversation with my students about um, humility, and we were reading in our Latin textbooks about Cicero, and how these Roman orators, that they were great men, and they were great men by pagan standards, or worldly standards, similar to today, I think we're in a time of evangelistic mission, rather than Christendom, but at their time in pagan Rome, that they were um, great men, but by the standard of paganism, they didn't have Christian humility, that humility that, that you can only get from Christ um, to become great in that way. And I told them, I told my students that, you know, you might think that working harder or being tougher or pushing for your goals more and more will will get you what you want and on a temporal sense it will unless you're assertive unless you work hard unless you develop all these skills you aren't able to achieve worldly success but in my life in my christian life i've, I've tried to do it both ways and one requires a lot of effort for a little bit of result and one requires a little bit of effort towards God in the right direction with infinitely good results. Yes. Now, now this isn't this isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't, oh, well, if you just turn to Christ, then you'll be a billionaire. You'll be a billionaire. You can just do whatever you want. No. But you the narrative of your life, the adventure that is your life, you're I'm not saying you're gonna live in some excellent great house. I don't live in some excellent mansion or great house in Louisville. There's quite a few great houses here in, in Louisville. I don't live in one of those. I live in a good house, but my life is exceptional. Yes. Um, it is amazing. The things, the, the plan that God has for me is way greater than if I could imagine, I wish I lived in a mansion. I wish it was in Beverly Hills. I wish I had 50 Maseratis, 50 Ferraris. <clears throat> Two Lamborghinis, uh, the, only two, the only two Lamborghinis, uh, <laughs> and a swimming pool and all this stuff. You always think about what you don't have. You can think about all these things, but man, it's it's crazy how the supernatural, how how the spiritual gifts, how what God has given, and even materially, what God has given me in my life and the plan that He has for me 
is of infinite value more than any of these worldly things that I could think of that I would want to achieve. You could literally live in the same house. I could live in my grandma's house that is now mine with my wife and I with an attitude of desperation, fear, living paycheck to paycheck, never feeling like you have enough, always dealing with repairs and problems and it's an old house and a rough neighborhood that nobody wants to be a part of. But that's not actually true. It's just your perception. It's your worldview. It's your attitude, right? And so if you adjust that slightly toward God and trust, then it doesn't mean he's going to make you a millionaire or make you rich and famous. He's going to help you see things rightly well, and to enjoy them are, as they are. And where you are now becomes, even if where you are hasn't changed, it now becomes an opportunity for growth, life, and spiritual blessing within that, yes. right? It's sure. transformed from being a Trusting burden that he's to provide. a fruitful field of opportunity. Yes, making the same amount of money, the same kind of <clears throat> bills, and the same kind of repairs, and all the things that I might have to do and be aware of in that home, but with an attitude of trust in God providing for my needs month to month, yeah. paycheck to paycheck, Amen. without fear. That that's is, the resurrection. I was just going to say that, that, that <laughs> is the power of the resurrection. And that's where we started with was not just remembering the resurrection, not just celebrating it, not just rejoicing in the fact that it happened, but entering into the power of it. Um, I was thinking earlier today about the sacrifice of the mass. And so one thing I would say is the Paschal mystery is is all of this. It's the suffering, death and resurrection of Christ. Right. We don't get to divide that up. Christ didn't divide it up. We don't get to divide it up. I like to divide it up as a human. Yeah. St. Paul says that if we die with Christ, we will rise with Christ. Yeah. I don't like to remember the first part of that verse. I usually don't. In fact, I like the second part of the verse. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we view this as option A and B or maybe both. And I'm like, I want option B. I want the resurrection bit. You know, I understand that Christ being God came to save us. So therefore he had to enter into the suffering and all this and that to save me. Therefore, I get to go straight to option B, right? Wrong. Because the point, as we've been saying all along, is we participate in the mysteries of Christ in order to attain to the final mystery of the ascension, right? And the final victory in the, in, in the end. Um, it's not actually an option. Option B on its own is not an option. They are intimately connected, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection. We don't get to Easter if we don't go through Good Friday. Because it means we're entering into Christ. We're participating in him in his mysteries. We're going to have to walk the same way he walked. We're going to have to travel the Via Dolorosa. That doesn't necessarily mean, however, that it's in the way that, you know, mystics who've had stigmatas have had. The reality is that every baptized Christian... Every time they have any moment of self-denial of, okay, I'm going to have patience in this moment. God's given me this grace. I'm going to not maybe follow this particular desire of the flesh. That's the way of the cross, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't always have to, you know, it's not like every moment is going to be filled with like stigmata, right? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that if we... Thankfully so, too. Yes. What I'm saying is that we are as Christians going to have to walk the way of the cross, the dying to self, in some way. Yeah. If we refuse that completely, then I will say that we don't get to the resurrection, right? Like, not now or ever. Jeff Cavins, right. uh, in, I think it was the Bible in a Year, or he was being interviewed uh, 
Actually, it was the beginning of Catechism of the Year, I think. Um, he was he and Father Mike Schmitz were talking about this idea of being um, getting used to death because if you don't get used mm. to it, if you don't enter into suffering, yeah. not by seeking it out in some unhealthy morbid and, right. yeah, but we're talking about way. like embracing it and it's it's called redemptive suffering. That's yeah. what this is all about. Is when suffering comes, which it will, you can't avoid it. We don't need to seek it out. It's so common. Yeah, it's so common. <laughs> you don't have to seek it out. You don't need to look for it. And now my movie references Monty Python and the monks singing Pia Yesu and smacking themselves in the heads with, <laughs> with boards. Right. No, that's not what we need. But when it happens, how do you embrace it with an attitude of trust and uh, with a, a hope in the redemption so that it it is transformed. It, it literally exudes hope for other people, like a little child who gets cancer, who loses all his hair, and yet he smiles from ear to ear and asks people to wish him happy birthday every day just so he can live to see the age of 10. Like, that gives me chills. That is something beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And yet difficult, painful. But if you trust it and unite your suffering to Christ on the cross in the most agonizing moment in human history, suddenly you realize it's not... A historical a moment it is a moment you're participating in in the now and time suddenly folds or is one united in this profound cosmic way that that makes it and so Jeff Gavins was saying if you get used to death then when you face death at death's door you'll be able to say been there done that got the t-shirt but if you spend your whole life running away from suffering, mm -hmm. avoiding it at all costs, constantly trying to minimize it or eliminate it. That's going to be a heck of a shock. It's going to be so terrifying. You can't, you won't even recognize God when he's staring you in the face. The, the Orthodox saying. You'll reject him. The Orthodox Christian saying with the monks, it's like, if, if you die before you die, then when you die, you won't die. Yeah, which actually makes... Perfectly oh my good gosh, that's, that's so awesome. good. Uh, well, um, trust in the resurrection. Yeah, I just want to share one, maybe last little thought with you guys here yeah, before sure. we wrap things up. So I had, you know, I, I think, I, I guess I've sort of been harping on this theme of the power of the resurrection of entering into it in reality instead of just remembering it. Um, what is that power? So... I was thinking uh, earlier today of St. Thomas Aquinas, and it's the second time I mentioned him. But we, somewhere in the Summa, he asked the question of, you know, roughly, is it fitting to refer to Mass as a sacrifice? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with our, our Protestant brethren, that's a problem, right? That language of sacrifice. Yeah. And I think that, of course, is in large part based off a of misunderstanding. No, we don't think Christ is being crucified again. That's back to that linear view of time, right? Sure. This is not a renewal of sufferings. But um, St. Thomas says as a sacrifice in several ways. He, as usual, kind of gives a list of answers in his very concise and orderly way. But one of the things that he points out is that the fruits of the crucifixion are present. Right, so every fruit that came from the crucifixion of Christ is present because Christ is present on the altar. Right, so that redemption, though, that salvation, right, everything there um, is still present now when we enter into it. But Christ, of course, on our altars is not dead. Christ is completely alive, and this goes back to the inseparability of Good Friday and Easter Sunday in the Paschal mystery. Mm -hmm. The the fruits of the cross are present in the Eucharist, 
but also the risen Christ is present in the Eucharist because it is alive. So when we participate in the <coughs> Eucharist, we are at once participating in both Good Friday and Easter Sunday, right? So again, two separate temporal time-bound events come together. They, they intersect. It's very, very interesting to kind of think about that. But when we think of the, the fruits of the cross, we might think of things like redemption, forgiveness of sins, you know, pardon, satisfaction, you know, uh, uh, not like in a penal substitution sense, but in, an, in a, a love. A deep sense peace of love. and love, yeah. And uh, but what, about the, what about the resurrection? You know, what, are, what are the fruits there? And um, I think this would be a worthy point of reflection. I don't know, but a couple of things that came to my mind were the resurrection is very triumphant, isn't it? It's a sense of victory. The crucifixion is essential for our salvation. For our pardon and it's a symbol of but, that victory but but it's the resurrection that has that feel of victory and restoration of things and how does that power of the resurrection work out in our lives um, well I think that every time that our soul doesn't become a slave to our passions that's a victory that's us being a little more alive not dead. Yeah. Um, I had a time recently of struggling with unforgiveness. And you guys will appreciate this um, because I think that both of you have probably also, like me, frequented St. Louis Bertrand for confessions. Yeah. And I, therefore, I'm sure at some point, because there's always four priests going over there, four Dominican friars. Probably both of you, as well as myself, have experienced Father Anthony Breen at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. It's always the same line. God bless him. What a beautiful human being he is. Phenomenal priest. And I remember he celebrated his 50th anniversary of priests last year. I don't know how old he it's is. A mission. He was a missionary. He was a missionary priest. in Pakistan, Pakistan for much of his life. He's incredible. But in the confessional, every single person hears the same thing from him. And so, you know... Make my confession, and at the end of all, is always, have you forgiven others, right? Yeah. As God has forgiven you. Um, and he, and then if if I ever, you know, if I say something like, well, I've kind of held on to Ooh, some grudges. Can I, can I do it? Can I do it? Yeah, if you can do a good Father Anthony, it'd be great. Is that half whisper? You have to do that. Yes, that's perfect. You nailed it. Because <laughs> if I if I say, well, Father, no, I haven't really. It's like. You have to do that. Remember, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Okay. Ugh. Right. But can he says you do it, that. Yes, Ugh. can you do that? He says it to every single person <coughs> that enters his confessional. Is you it's must amazing. forgive in order to be forgiven. That is the message. That is one of the most central messages of the gospel. Over and over in all of Christ's parables and stuff and, and teachings, he comes back to this over and over again, the parable of the unjust uh, servant, you know, right? Like all this stuff. Um, if you must forgive in order to be forgiven, if you won't forgive, neither will your heavenly father forgive you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So to me, it's so important. Maybe we're... That really shaped, I, I just want to point out that, um, that that interaction with him, the first time you go, you're like, oh, the second time you're like, oh, he just says this. By the third, fourth time, I mean, I go to confession a lot, but it sinks in. But it, it start, it's legitimately become a piece of who I am yeah. and how I view others and how I view my relationship with God. 
just from going to confession with him. But and you also realize that it's not just a habit. It is the focus of his thinking, and he's trying to beat it into your head. And he right? does a great job. And he think does. about it. For the most it's part. the focus of his thinking. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the dismemberment and the his distractions and the inability to eliminate things. And the forgiveness is the focus. And it's oftentimes the people that are closest to us that need forgiveness, and that's our family. And that's yeah. that's where mercy comes in. Uh, Father, uh, Ben Cameron, yeah. you had Father's him on. Yes. Father's <laughs> of Mercy. He said he defined mercy for, for you guys. I don't know if you remember. I listened to the episode. I wasn't there for it. Uh, but he said mercy is forgiving those who don't deserve it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's showing forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. And I thought that was really profound. It seems a little harsh. But it, it shows the power of mercy. Yeah, uh, exactly right. It's now, not based in like, you know, sort of a debit and credit line of this person deserves to, this person doesn't. But real quickly, what I wanted to say was this whole idea, if I'm in a position where like I'm struggling with unforgiveness <coughs> or bitterness or something like that, I'm like, man, I really don't want to let go of this. That is me being in bondage to this emotion. Yeah. Right. And if by God's grace, he helps me let go of this and forgive or, you know, maybe not fall into this particular temptation or whatever it is, that's a victory. That is the power of the resurrection operating in our lives in real time. Yes, it happened on our timeline 2000 years ago, but it's operating now, current date in our lives. And so I guess... Uh, did you want to say something before yeah, we close, John? Uh, yeah, I, didn't, I, yeah, go, I have you one say your thing, and I want to final thought, and it, and it goes back to something up. you said so in passing, you might not remember, but you had mentioned legacy media of some yes. sort. Yeah. What did you mean by that? I meant like the old, like the newspaper, um, television, uh, even now, the before 24... It was the, just sound bites. The 24-hour yeah. news cycle, which is kind of modern, it's still... It's still uh, you know, Michael, it's still uh, probably much older than you are. But, uh, <laughs> One more time. How many mentioned. times are we going to give this guy a hard time? Uh, no, right? no. Uh, Thank you for your help, Michael. More, more <laughs> times the number of years he is old. Um, so, <laughs> God, I just realized, I mean, technically, he could be my son. That's true. Oh, damn. Now I feel That's really intense. old. Yeah. Anyway, anyways, I, I was just talking about. He's never coming back to switch for us. The, again. The, yeah, I know. I, I know. We ruined it. We ruined. <laughs> Let's give him a good shout out uh, for yes, his we'll channel live. while we're while we're yes. while we're here. So, um, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So I'm Michael Snellen, the founder of Catholicism for the Modern World. Uh, we just uh, released a podcast last month. Uh, we have the largest Catholic Medium publication on Medium.com. We also have a website. Uh, so just Google Catholicism for the modern world, and you'll find us. Not of the modern world. For, for the modern, modern, world. The modern yes. world. That's, That's right. Yeah. And, and Michael, thank you for helping us out today. Yeah, and we yes, really appreciate and, uh, it. Anybody listening, please check that out. Great content yeah. there. So the reason I asked you this question, and it has to do with the legacy that we're leaving behind. Because the legacy that these legacy media outlets and conglomerates left behind, sadly... <laughs> in many ways left in its wake uh, an entire people numb, distracted, hopeless, and overly self-conscious of what they 
are as a person and that they're not good enough and they're not pretty enough, cool enough, smart enough, whatever it is. And it's a legacy of death. Yeah. And it's not intentional necessarily from everybody who was part of that machine, right? Because it was exciting. It was new technology. Well, we're de- we never had dealing this before. with principalities and powers, yes. even in this sense. Yes. It's not even in this sense. It's and not so people. The legacy that we leave behind has to do with how we let Christ work among us and operate within us. And this machine isn't more, so much a machine or a monstrosity, but it's, uh, it's a reality of our humanity fully alive and operating at its full capacity, not based on algorithms or mechanics, but based on love and virtue and openness to God in every sense of that word. And that is the only way we enter death and pass through into resurrection. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, thank you, John. That is, I think that's a perfect way to sum up today's episode. And that goes right along with what my final encouragement was going to be that, again, this Easter, it's about entering into the resurrection. It's about experiencing the power of it, asking God to... Um, reveal the power of the resurrection in our lives so that we no longer are slaves but are free. We are no longer dead in trespasses and sins. We are made truly alive. Um, We are allowed to participate in the three great offices of Christ, priest, prophet, and king, right? And that king... The triplex munera. Yes, the what he said in something (laughs) Latinish, the triplex munera. That's right. Okay, wow. Yeah, I got it. There you go. Yeah, so... uh, Thanks be to God for that victory and for letting us participate in it. Um, For all of you watching, for all of you listening, thank you as always for being with us and listening, even when we occasionally get a little goofy as of today. But hey, good stuff to think about anyway. Again, a happy and blessed Easter to all of you. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share. Let's get the gospel message and the teachings of the Catholic Church out there on the internet and in YouTube world and on podcasts. Thank you for your support, and God bless you. We will see you next week on Spirit and Spire.